Welcome to the worship of God as we gather in this place to worship God. One of the great aspects of the Christian faith has been song, that we put our theology and our thoughts and our hopes and our visions and our love into song. The first hymn we sing today is from the, uh, I guess, often the, the theology of the Apostle Paul, who saw Christ coming into the world to redeem the world, and it is through his humility that he was exalted. And so this song is about celebrating the strength of Jesus' name. It has the word ransom in it that we talked about in Sunday school today, but also my favorite is the last stanza who speaks, uh, that speaks of how our voices join with a larger crowd, a larger choir that transcends all time and eternity that says we will join the everlasting song. So as we put our voices together and join in that everlasting song, let's stand together and sing. Please join me in the litany of invitation and confession printed in your order of service. We come with full hearts, eager to hear the gospel of salvation. We come with our burdens and cares, hoping to be made whole This week has brought many challenges and concerns, and so we, the gathered church, come together to seek God's will. 
May we be poor in spirit and rich in God's boundless love. And may our love of wealth be overcome by love of God and neighbor. Sisters and brothers, God meets us where we are. God loves us as we are. God has forgiven us. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church, and especially welcome to our worship services during the summer in our chapel. This provides us a sense of intimacy as we gather with one another to sing and worship. Welcome especially to those of you who are guests today. Glad that you share in this worship experience with all of us. There is on the edge of your order of service a a response card, a welcome card, If you'll take a moment to complete that and drop it in the offering plate, that'll help me connect name and face with you. Also, if there's a prayer request you have, place that on the card too. It's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. We come from a week that has kept us pretty scattered with a lot of various feelings and a lot of various needs. One of the pillars of the church died this week, and the funeral was Wednesday. The day that he died, the steeple of the church fell off. So go figure. It has been a peculiar week, but we are gathered here, and it's good to be together. We had a time of uh, church school this morning where we did some study. Dr. David Bell, our heretic in residence, (laughs) led us in a remarkably faithful presentation. Uh, and and uh, we'll do so again this next week. You gave us the gift. You gave us the gift of you, Dave. Uh, as we, as we uh, worship God now, the, the topic today uh, continues from our Sunday school class about salvation. The texts that you will hear deal with that. And then uh, Reverend Daniel Hedrick, the associate pastor, will be preaching on that topic uh, later in the service. So as we gather our hearts as well as our minds, we open our hearts and minds as we hear from the Bible. Welcome. A hymn of praise which leads to trust in God and not earthly powers. A reading from the Psalms. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes and mortals in whom there is no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. 
The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Here ends the first lesson. And now let us say our prayers. Hope renewing God, called as we are to be your people, we gather to praise you for the hope you give to each of us through your eternal promises that enrich our lives. And through the generous gifts God gives to us in understanding the meaning of righteousness and justice. Forgive us for our failures to be assigned to other people of God's hope. Be for us this day the source and power that enables us to develop right relationships with God, with each other, with our neighbor, and in the more complex world where God has placed us. Justice teaching God, called as we are to be your people, we gather to thank you for all you have taught us about justice and just living for all we have learned about the importance of justice so that all people have the opportunity for a fair and just life. Forgive us for our failures to be assigned to other people of God's eternal justice. Be for us this day the source and power that enables us to act justly and to encourage by our example God's justice for all people. Compassionate God, called as we are to be your people, we gather to honor revere and worship you for the compassion that is central to the being of God. Forgive us our hard-hearted, manipulative attitudes to people around us, people who need love to give them fresh hope. Be for us this day the source and power that creates and simulates love, mercy, grace, and compassion so that we may bring freedom from injustices around the world. Hear us, O God, as we pray these prayers. To God, the renewing and almighty God of all goodness, we praise you, saying the prayer Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. James teaches us that faith without works is dead. A reading from the epistle of James. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he walked, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front.
glad y'all are here. It's a really pretty day, isn't it? It is. Well, I um, have a few questions to ask of Pastor James about something that he did. How long ago was it? It was about uh, 12 years ago. 12 years ago. And tell us, what, what did you do? What was it that you did? I walked all the way across Spain. The, the, the country of Spain and the pilgrimage, or what I walked on the trail, was called the Camino de Santiago. So you said a word, pilgrimage. What does that mean? Pilgrimage is that, that you go somewhere for a purpose. You're not just hiking to be hiking or walking to be walking, but you're wanting to listen and maybe listen to God and pray and have, have a spiritual time of prayer every day. That's a, that's a pilgrimage. So while you were on this pilgrimage, this journey that you took, what, what did you have to do to prepare? Did you practice walking? What did you do? I did practice walking. I practiced in my neighborhood with a pack on my back and walking sticks and a big hat, and all of my neighbors wondered who I was. <laughs> I think one thought about calling the police on me because I looked so different than everybody else walking in the neighborhood. But I, I practiced walking several miles a day. And how many miles total was it? 500 miles. That's a long... 500 miles, yeah. So did you experience <clears throat> anything that was really hard? My feet hurt by the time <laughs> I finished. So that was kind of hard. My feet were sore. Um, that was the hard part. Yeah. Well, have any of you ever been hiking or on a, taken a long walk, maybe on the beach? You have? Was there anything hard about it? Your feet got tired. Yeah. Yeah, that... that happens sometimes. Today we are learning about a story in the book of Psalms about a man who was on a journey and he got tired. He experienced some troubles. But what he learned is that God was with him the whole time. All of us are on a journey too. When we are going throughout our lives, it's kind of like we're walking on a journey. Like we're on a pilgrimage throughout our lives, going from one place to another, learning things, about ourselves, about others, and sometimes it's going to be really hard. Your feet might get tired, your heart might get tired, things just might wear you down, but we can always remember that God is with us. God will always be standing beside us, walking with us, so that the journey can continue for all of us. So whenever you feel tired or you feel maybe scared or unsure about what's happening, I want you to remember that God is there with you, okay? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much that we get to walk on this journey alongside you. We pray that you will comfort us and protect us and that we may know that you are around us at all times. In your name we pray, amen.
Jesus teaches the disciples about the dangers of attachment to wealth. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, also you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all of these, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, we continue our sermon series on doctrines, and I take up this morning the doctrine of salvation. For those of you who were here this morning in church school, you were gifted by Dr. David Bell. And I enjoy your new title that you were christened with. That's a title to be envied. You know, the problem with doctrines is that they're always changing. I mean, just take the doctrine of salvation. It's always changing, isn't it? It used to be that there was no salvation outside the one true apostolic Catholic church. And then the Reformation came and messed up all that. Salvation was by grace alone through faith in Christ. And Luther pushed that so hard, he tried to throw out the book of James, which said the opposite, that if you have faith but don't have works, it's no good. And the problem with tying salvation solely to belief is that nobody could agree on what precisely you have to believe in order to get saved. You have to believe in substitutionary atonement, some circles, you do. Double predestination? In some circles, you do. I read, a few, I read a book a few months ago that had some very good thoughts about salvation. really made me think. But then I got to a chapter and it said, you know, to get saved, you have to believe in these nine things. Nine things. Not eight. Nine. And it's almost like salvation in the church today for many is a transaction If you say the magic words, if you believe the correct number of things, then presto, you're saved. The gospel reading that you just heard has that kind of transactional thinking. The young man who asked the question of Jesus, it had the air of a transactional question. What good deed must I do in order to get eternal life? It sounded transactional because it was. It was just the kind of question a rich person would ask. He called him teacher. Because you don't get salvation from a teacher. You get information. Maybe a passing grade. This was somebody who wasn't worried about when their next paycheck was coming in. Somebody who had never worried about insurance premiums or co-pays. Somebody who never thought a little illness could lead to bankruptcy and an eviction. No, the man had never thought these things. Instead, he thought, what am I going to do with all that cash I have? Transactional question. He had everything he wanted in life except one thing, salvation. And he'd been able to buy everything in life that he wanted, so why not buy salvation too? Now imagine the man with me. 
Perhaps he had inherited a family business. Perhaps maybe there were money changers in the temple. Maybe they owned all the kiosks or the sacrificial animals that were bought in the temple. We don't know. Maybe he had a side business selling fabrics and food in the market, diversifying their business. Got to do that in a down economy. Maybe that's what this young man did. And whenever a problem presented itself, the young man had always bought his way out of it. You know, the Romans, I hear they raised the taxes on local merchants a few years back. And he said, no problem. We'll just bribe the tax collectors more money this year. Set up an offshore account so we'll have all our income realized overseas. Find a loophole that only the rich could squeeze through. He had time on his hands to ask the question that he asked Jesus. But if you read the Gospels, you'll, you'll notice something. Very few people come to Jesus with these kind of abstract spiritual or theological questions. Most come to him out of naked human need. From the earliest days in Galilee, people were coming to Jesus with diseases, severe pain, demon possession, seizures, leprosy, A ruler one time went to him and said, my daughter is dying. Can you save her? And it is the rich man who has the question about salvation. Of course, he had everything else figured out. Well, the poor are too worried about where their next paycheck is coming from. Maybe for them, salvation was in the here and now. And the rich man didn't have any need of what Jesus was offering I think he just wanted Jesus to tell him that he didn't need to change a single thing about his life, and he'd get saved. And you know, Jesus even played along for a little bit, didn't he? He asked Jesus the question, and Jesus said, well, follow the commandments. And he said, oh, I've done that. I've done that since I was a boy. And Jesus, who can see through the heart of every human being, said, if you wish to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come, follow me. And what did the text say? It said he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Well, that was a little too close to home, what Jesus said. He'd hit the rich man right between the eyes, didn't see it coming. He'd come asking about salvation, and Jesus had started spouting off that Marxist stuff about redistribution of wealth. Didn't Jesus know that good news for the poor was anti-biblical? What were they teaching in those Jewish seminaries, anyway? Redistribution of wealth. Good news for the poor. If you you kept that up, the big donors would pull their money out and start their own seminaries. That kind of talk makes people nervous. Don't you know? John the Baptist and his followers started to get nervous with all this healing of the sick and raising from the dead that was going on. It seemed to them like maybe Jesus should have been writing four volumes of church dogmatics instead of passing out free health care. Those who know Bart got that joke. So when John was in prison, he sent his disciples to Jesus. And they said, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? And Jesus said, Tell John that the blind can see, the lame can walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. And they about passed out when he said that. What did he say? Good news to the poor? They'd never heard anybody talk like that. The New Testament scholar Bruce Longenecker says it's very significant that good news for the poor is grouped with resurrection from the dead. Because what the Bible's saying is that good news for the poor is about as unlikely as resurrection. The poor are so hopeless that good news to them is on par with raising the dead. Good news for the poor? That can't be in the Bible. You know, why, just the other day I heard uh, about a Texas pastor who's bringing a resolution to the Southern Baptist Convention condemning social justice. 
The resolution says that social justice is anti-biblical because, among other things, it is interested in redistributing wealth. Be warned, the resolution says, the Methodists in the Episcopal denomination, they have already embraced the social justice movement, and instead of growing in number, these same denominations continue to lose membership at an alarmingly fast rate. Can you imagine that? If you start preaching good news to the poor, folks might not show up for church anymore. Jesus did it. He got him killed. So maybe the pastor has a point. Jesus' good news for the poor makes people really nervous. And today we have CEOs with golden parachutes. They make more than all their workers combined. I was reading about the CEO of Amazon. He, he started out one year with $99 billion in stock. Billion. In five months, his stock had given him $33 billion more. Somebody did the math on that. He was making $275 million a day, $11.5 million an hour, $3,182 per second. And the median salary at Amazon is $28,000, so it took eight seconds to make the median salary. And a billion people in the world live on about $1.25 a day. Amazon has so much cash that they have decided to colonize space. They started a new company that will fly people to space. And, and you can do it, too. For between $100,000 and $200,000, you can fly to space. Sign up. Anybody signed up yet? But you know, I can't really take the high road on Amazon. Mia culpa. You see, I'm part of the problem. We got home yesterday, and there were packages on the front porch with the Amazon sticker pasted all over it. I'm part of the problem. And you know, it's easy to beat up on CEOs, because that takes the focus off of us, doesn't it? It's really too easy to talk about Amazon because that kind of wealth is an abstraction for most of us. For most of us, the perils of wealth are the perils that have always attached to possessions. And the peril is that we think our stuff will save us. That is the American heresy. We've come to believe the consumer culture's lie that acquiring more and more will save us. And wealth entices us to trust in our possessions, not God. It's an irony that on our money it says, in God we trust. It's like every time we buy something, we look at each other and wink and say, we trust in God, not money. We think our incredible medical technology will save us. Our ingenuity in microprocessors, Silicon Valley, and the semiconductor but again and again, the Bible tells us that the gospel is good news for the poor. So how in a land like America can we get saved? In America, where the poor lack access to justice, where poor people of color are disproportionately the ones who are executed by the state, where people have to use GoFundMe and crowdsourcing to pay for life-saving medical operations, where poor immigrant families at the border are torn from each other and called illegal. Where is the good news of the gospel for any of those people? How, how can we get saved? And that's what the disciples wanted to know. That you heard the gospel, the question the young man asked. And Jesus gave his answer, and then he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom. And, and for centuries, folks have tried to wiggle through that eye. You know, it's widely believed in many circles that there was a real gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. And that it was just a bit of a tough squeeze for camels. If they just took their, their packages off, they could squeeze through it. And that's how the passage was read since the medieval period. Hard to get through. Well, the problem is there's no evidence there was any gate by that name. It doesn't stop people from believing it. 
truth is, most of us are looking for a loophole to salvation. Easy enough to wiggle through with no cross to bear. Easy enough to be expressed in a formula, even. But there is no formula for salvation. The doctrine of salvation resists formulas, incantations, and precision. It is freely offered. That's true. That is grace. But the response will cost something. The response will cost everything. It will cost the death of our attachment to wealth and consumerism. You know, once there was a man named Zacchaeus. You know the story of Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector. He went looking for Jesus, and Zacchaeus didn't have any questions about salvation. He didn't want to know what is the one good deed I have to do in order to get salvation. He just volunteered the following. He said, I will give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have defrauded anybody, I'll, I'll repay them four times the amount. And you know what Jesus said? He said, today, salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus didn't pray the sinner's prayer or walk up the aisle. He repented of the ways in which he had participated in an unjust economic order. He committed himself to justice. Well, I'm not making that up. That's in the Bible. Salvation had been offered to the rich young man in Matthew 19, too. It was freely offered by Jesus, but the man wasn't willing to live the life required by total obedience. He couldn't part with half of what he owned, much less all of it. He thought he was perfect. He thought he had it all. And Jesus says, you don't have it all. In fact, all this stuff you think makes you who you are, you don't have anything. He says, give up what you have in order to enter life. And if the Bible is correct, that salvation is connected to good news to the poor, then we have to ask ourselves if the old model of salvation fits what the Bible does and says. Does praying the sinner's prayer but then never teaching discipleship Telling kids they're once saved, always saved, and wondering why they drop out of church. Does that fit the radical call to discipleship that Jesus offers? Does condemning social justice as atheist Marxist ideology fit the good news of Jesus? And if Jesus was telling the truth that the gospel would be good news for the poor, how will we ever be saved in wealthy America? Well, what did Jesus say? He says, for mortals, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. There is no loophole. There is only what God makes possible today. But it will not be possible unless we dare to hear Jesus' call to discipleship with all its economic cost as applying to us here, now. Those with ears to hear, let them hear. Amen? Amen. also reflected on how busy I am and we are in a loud world 
and the gift of this space is stillness and quietness to let these words steep in us. That's what the hymn of dedication is about. Be still, my soul, that out of the stillness comes awareness, and out of the awareness comes confession, and through God's grace in hearing the confession comes salvation. Let's stand together and sing. Whenever a family gathers around the table, there's always news to share. Let me share some of that news with you. First, a gratitude to all of you who helped with the Wilton Looney Memorial Service on Wednesday. That was a massive undertaking. We had nearly 500 people in the sanctuary for that memorial service, and it took all of us to participate. So thanks for helping make that happen. Not this week, but the following week, we'll be going to Tolliver County. Uh, about 20 Northside drivers will be going for that. Be praying for us as we go, and the locals, those who are there in a part of the community there now, are doing the Bible school this week. We will arrive for next week. Um, again, thanks to David Bell for his presentation. He'll be presenting next week as well in our church school hour. Don't miss that. If you miss it, you've missed something.
And uh, uh, our adult ed committee, uh, chaired by Ruth Kermidgen and, and Daniel helped uh, put these series together, and, um, and we are grateful. A celebration, uh, a new baby has been born in our congregation. Camera, Cameron and Rebecca uh, Ellis gave birth to Beckett William Ellis. He was born this past week. Um, we pray for Jerry Humphreys. She's in the hospital, uh, Piedmont, with pneumonia. Wade Davis in DeKalb Medical Center, also with pneumonia and some other uh, medical issues. We pray for Terrell this week. His aunt, uh, Cynthia Kilgore, died. The funeral will be next Saturday. And we, of course, pray for Sylvia uh, and Bruce Dick and for their extended family and their time of loss. We need to do a blessing uh, today because today is uh, Jeffrey Dunkerley's last Sunday with us. Jeffrey, I'm going to ask if you would uh, part the red and white sea <laughs> here and come forward. Uh, he has been with us two and a half years. Hard to believe. Two and a half years, and as you know, recently married to Jade, who is already in motion to move to their new location in Portland, Oregon. Um, and uh, we want to bless you today, and I need your help in doing it. I'll go through these lines, and then I'll come to the prompt. So on this day, and then your response will be, we bless you, Jeffrey. So on this day, we bless you, Jeffrey. Jeffrey, as you finish your time with us, as Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries, on this day, we bless you, Jeffrey. As you prepare to travel across the country on a new journey, and in a new marriage, know that you go with our love. And so on this day, we bless you, Jeffrey. As you arrive in Portland and begin your postgraduate studies, and as Jade starts her new ministries with the United Methodist Church, may our hope accompany you as you begin again. And so on this day, we bless you, Jeffrey. We bless you, Jeffrey. Amen. And now we gather our hearts as well as our gifts that we share with God and God's people as we give our tithes and our offerings.
All-loving God, our voices rise with the choir song as we give thanks to you for your grace and love that we have joined our lives in your life gives us great hope and even salvation. Bless these tithes and gifts. May they be used in the service of your love for others. And as we struggle with theologies and doctrines and teachings, it is with joy that we come back to the story, the story that has held us and holds us. And through it, we get faith, hope, and love, and we love to tell it. In Christ's name, amen.